0: Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week we've got a special podcast to talk all about tyre tech and this one is presented by Schwalbe. Joining me, Henry Quinney. I always say that then I cringe when I say it. I feel like I'm so like, uh, makes my makes my, my toes curl. Joining me, Henry Quinney, and to make sure that I don't do anything too too unprofessional or anything of the like is the cat herder himself, Mr. Brian Park as well as Carl Kampert and Felix Jan from Schwalbe. Brian, you've ridden many, many, many tires over the years. Can you just talk us through how maybe the consumer's expectation has changed over the last 10, 15 years about what they can expect from a mountain bike tire?
1: Oh my God, I thought we were going to start light and easy.
0: Well, we can take it as light and easy as you want, but I think that's a good place to start. Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people were very skeptical of even tubeless. Now mm-hmm. things are really changing.
1: I I know people now who will not take a tube or tire plugs or anything on a ride and they'll just ride. And I keep expecting this to bite them in the ass and it keeps not biting them in the ass. Uh, for listeners, Henry is waving because it's that's definitely him. <laughs> and I like the old rules of mountain bike karma require that something horrible happen that that he just double flat all the time because but it doesn't so yeah i I think our expectations of tire uh just durability and longevity uh have gone up dramatically yes
0: tires are i mean i think I think they're really, really good people. Um, people often might question about whether we're limited by a pneumatic system, whether we should go to the sole, like you know, the solid tire or something. I think we're incredibly lucky to have the mountain bike tires we do do, and I think tubeless is actually, for me at least, proving to be a very good system. So, starting off with you, Colt, you're the product manager of Gravity for mountain biking. Now, that must be a really interesting job because, compared to your road colleagues, who basically I guess just sit in a wind tunnel with a cup of coffee. You've got a really difficult job, right? Correlating all this different feedback. We're going to go into it and talk about the development of the Taki-chan, which I'm really interested to talk about. But largely, could you just talk about your role and and what it is you do at Schwabe?
2: So, um, my name is Kai Kemper, and I'm product manager and developer for MTB Tars at Schwabe. And mainly my role is to develop and um, create a range of mountain bike tasks. Which involves listening to all kinds of mountain bikers, speed like the average rider, weekend warrior, or World Cup athlete like Emery Piron. So that's most the most part of my job. So um, I'd say 20% of my time is uh, World Cup developments, and the other 80% is either visiting customers, being on events, listening to riders, obviously spending a lot of time in the office, but also spending a lot of time on the bike.
1: When you say customers, do you mean like OEM people you supply or bike shops or what's what does that mean?
2: So I think at Schwaber the role of a product manager is set fairly wide. So we are not just developing products, but also are responsible for a part of the marketing of the product, which could include visiting customers doing like technical sales, actually. Um, hmm. So that's also part of our job. Yes.
1: Could be so OEMs, like full- whatever full product line management then exactly the
0: and we're also joined by felix who is head of corporate social responsibility now felix something that we just kind of spoke about in the preamble to this podcast is actually how shruby is very much still a family company and i believe that you're kind of part of the the shruby the family so can you settle it once and for all am i saying shruby wrong how do i how do i say it where did the name come from and how how it, what is the correct way to pronounce is it Schwabble? Schwably? Schwabble? Schwabble? <laughs> Help
3: me. <clears throat> you know, it is whatever you want it to be, I guess. <laughs> um, I would call it Schwab. If you want to call it Schwalbe then you know be my guest. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> what's the worst pronunciation of Schwalbe you've ever heard? Uh Schwablow is what I Schwablow <laughs> <guess. laughs> <laughs> Nice. That sounds yeah. like a
0: cartoon character from the 80s, like a, a crime-fighting <laughs> cat or something.
1: I'm, I am sorry, but I am 100% calling them Schwablos now. That's great. You should make a title uh, the
0: Schwablo Escobar.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that one goes right on the list.
0: <laughs> Felix, head of corporate social responsibility, that sounds like quite a far-ranging remit for one job. Could you explain briefly what your job looks like within the company?
3: Yeah, it is a very wide field. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to, uh, you know, have a team of four guys, uh, basically three scientists, two business managers, if you like, and we cover everything from um, the material side. So material science, uh, chemical assessments, all the way to compliance, due diligence, supply chain transparency, measuring greenhouse gas emissions, CSR reporting. I'm probably forgetting a couple of things, but as you can imagine, it's um, a really wide field. Oh, recycling. So um, we try and do all of these things all at once. We're really lucky that we're basically sitting right next to our product managers. So there's a very... Like a really collaborative atmosphere, if you like.
1: How many spreadsheets between the two of you do you think you guys have open at any one given time?
3: All I'm saying is my laptop is pretty slow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, as we go into talk about the Taki Chan, which is sort of the new release, now, for those of you that don't know, it's definitely worth the Taki Chan's an interesting tie to my mind, at least, because it seems to build on a couple of the Schwabry tyres in the brand as well as obviously you know kind of holding that place for the real racers who want something they seem to be settling on something that is basically between a um, that sort of double-edged tyre that you might be familiar with as well as something like a cut spike and it really does feel like that. I think the um, Asagai uh, the tire for Maxis gets a huge amount of credit for that transfer knob but actually it could arguably be said to started with the magic mary and that alternating transfer knob to take the rider from the center to the edge knobs and even if we look through the tread of the tacky chan the varying center tread actually does incorporate that as well um carl there's a really interesting story i heard about the team at Commonsal makov actually starting with a big betty and that was really in the foundations of what was what would later become the tacky chan could you just explain the process of what it's like starting with that kind of development and and yeah what, what the testing process looks like
2: so um you, you heard that right that's actually how we started the techie chan um i remember in 2019 that was when we started the uh, when i started the design of the big Betty it was actually a quick design not really not honestly not entirely meant for the dh world cup so it was more of a market focused uh, development and nonetheless we went uh, for a team test in the winter time uh, in 2019 in Andorra, so it was actually fairly cold. And um, Thibaut Aprela and Emery uh, had the first runs on the Big Betty. And they came down, and from the get-go, they really, really liked the corner hold of the tar. Uh, already back then, they compared it to the feeling of a carving ski, which I, to this day, like to uh, compare the Techie to as well. With the one big disadvantage of the Big Betty, that the shoulder knobs are so stiff that the tar was tough to ride. And... I mean, people always think of World Cup riders as, like, the ultimate rider, and to a certain extent, they are. Like, they are extremely good athletes, but also athletes, the best athletes, make mistakes at one point. And um, the tar has to be able to give the, the athlete a bit of freedom to correct mistakes, and the Big Betty just didn't provide that. So what the team did was they cut down um, the shoulder knobs of the Big Betty, made some other changes to the trip pattern, and that's, that's actually how it all started.
0: And when we're talking about these World Cup races, it's a funny thing because obviously they want to, you know, get to the next level. They want their best results ever, but also they oftentimes want to stick with products they trust and they know work. Mm -hmm. I think it can be a difficult balance. What would you say has been your experience of developing tyres with these professional athletes? And is there any resistance or reluctance to try what could be the next big thing?
2: From my experience, this is absolutely dependent on the writer. So there are some writers out there that I would call early adopters. So whatever you give them that is just new and different, they'll like it from the get go. They will feel comfortable on it. There's some writers out there that just feel well on everything at, right from the beginning. Um, however, there surely are such writers that you just described that need some convincing work to uh, get going on a new tread pattern. So that's actually what you've uh, what we've seen this year in the World Cup. So for most of our riders, it was the first year on the tacky chain. And despite some extensive off-season tests last year, there was still some, some process of getting used to the new tread pattern.
0: But it's interesting as well, because I think that the way that the conversation spreads around the pits at World Cups is oftentimes, I don't know, like people, <laughs> they kind of want the group decide have a referendum whether this product is good enough to race or ride. And then that gives them confidence. I think that, like you said, it's very individual, but I think also sometimes it's, it's like you said, even the best riders make mistakes and they're very much human and having the sort of um, ideological investment in any part or bike product or whatever is actually really important because they're going out literally risking life and limb.
1: I, uh, uh, I've got a free marketing idea for all tire manufacturers listening, but seriously, I don't know why it hasn't been done. Or maybe it has and We just don't know. But the 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 brand that signs a couple of top level riders doesn't announce it, and then they like run the, their tires sharpied out for half a season. For sure, that buzz becomes a thing that people spot. Like that's that's the move. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it has been done. Who knows? (laughs) Breaking stories over here. (laughs) And how do,
0: because I've worked for teams before that were sponsored by a different brand and there'd basically be a clause in the contract that said, whilst we're developing the brand that we're sponsored by, we have freedom of choice to run X, Y, Z. And, you know, in years past, just for disclosure, they were running the Mary, which was, was a really kind of a good all round tires. that's quite popular with a lot of, um, a lot of World Cup races. Behind the scenes, that must give you a tremendous amount of pride when you see your ties are the ones that other people are running, right?
2: Absolutely. I, I can totally confirm this. So when whenever there's a team or a rider uh, in the pits asking to purchase your product, although they're not sponsored by you, it's actually something that uh, that's really heartwarming. <laughs> it's the biggest compliment you could get. Um, getting back to the development of the Techie Chain, that's something I just remembered. so... Uh, I remember when we first had the tire in the World Cup. That was 2021, first race. Mm-hmm. Um, there was such a rumor spreading through the pits right away when uh, Thibaut Pre's first few successful runs on the TAR. I that that's just something that's so special about the World Cup. Everyone's talking and uh, figuring out what product's good and whatnot. And right after that, we got the first request for this tire, which we obviously couldn't fulfill.
1: What um before you decide to develop a tire, what how does that decision get made that, Hey, we are missing X in our lineup or our riders are asking for why, like what's, how do you decide, how do you justify a new product within, within, and to be fair, you're not the only tire manufacturer that does this, but Oh my God. If you look at a tire manufacturer's catalog, it's insane. Uh, Schwalbe included. So yeah. What, what, what goes into that decision-making process? I mean, the the, the beauty of uh, of mountain biking is how
2: it's always changing. Like people always figure out new ways to ride a bike. Like tracks are changing, uh, changing racing is changing, and that's um, often leading to such decisions. Uh, whenever there's something new coming up, um, we have like some internal processes to decide about new products. So there's like an picture like an internal of people sitting together talking about products, challenging ideas that come up. Um, Trust me. Uh, whenever we decide to go for a new trapper, it's actually a big decision, uh, because it creates a new nickname, and every new nickname in our age creates an exponential amount of new uh, part numbers. You can imagine, like sizes, then different compounds per size, different casing uh, per compound, and so on and so on. Like it's it's huge. So, um, for instance, with the chain, it was not an easy decision we made, especially considering that both Tars, the Magic Mary and the Tekken, are kind of close to each other. In terms of the uh, intended use, or let's just say the skid depth. So uh, you could argue we already have a DHTAR, why make another one? Um, so those decisions are not uh, made light So it's something that we discuss a lot and tough about.
0: And how, when, you know, just to Brian's point, when you're maybe identifying there is space in the range to to complement, to add to, what what is the approach in terms of? Is there any data led stuff, or is it only off rider field? Can you can you do lab testing in terms of grip, that sort of thing, or is it thing just merely like impact resistance that you can test in a lab?
2: Um. So, <laughs> I I hope uh, I don't give away too much here, but yeah, we can test grip as well for sure. That's that's an important point. But honest, honestly, this is something that we just test to prove rider feeling. So. For in our developments, it's actually always writer first. That's what we say. So it's always the writer first. In the end, like although I'm the, I'm the developer of certain products, I don't have to go out there and race the product. That's going to be Emery or Thibault or whoever. So those are the guys that need to be fast on the task. So honestly, everything we do is backed up first and foremost by um, lab times, race results, and then we go down to the lab tests.
1: Do you... So lab testing aside, in the design process itself, uh, is everything you're like, you're 3D modeling and running, I assume some sort of like FEA or other predictive stuff is how good is the correlation there? Can, can you say scan a competitor tire, run some simulations and go like, oh, that's good. Or, oh, that's shit when it comes to tread pattern, or is it, are there just too many variables still? So that's the interest, uh,
2: interesting thing about mountain bike tires. Um, now, in our case, we research a lot on how we can like, um, do more calculations on design improvements of mountain bike tires. I once read an interesting comment on pink bike, actually, from a guy that said, so if there are so many uh, mountain bike tire manufacturers out there developing new tires, ultimately, everyone should come to the same conclusion, to the same design, because um, like, this is the ultimate tire design which didn't happen to this day. Like, there are some designs that are similar, maybe some similarities in geometry and so on. But if you look at schwabata it looks significantly diff- different than most other tiles. So, um, and this is where it's interesting. So I would say um, the uh, calculation of trepidence FEA uh, analysis, whatever, is actually so hard, like, tiles are so unpredictable mm-hmm. that it's not really possible to do so. Which then means, again, the rider is the most important point in the whole, uh, most important, important component in the whole development
1: process interesting yeah i guess i love the
0: thought of you equipping some you know 55 year old it specialist commuter pro with the latest set of marathons <laughs> just like go ride until till they're dead <laughs> and he's there in cycle paths giving you feedback <laughs> <laughs> but that's I that's mean, an interesting point that brian raised though i mean i think that you know with our with our listeners and our audience tire tech is something they are Deeply invested in, maybe because there is that sort of um, it's a dark secret art. source with it's it. It's a dark art, like you don't quite know what's going to work, and and even you can get a really good as as we know, you know, you can get really good the tire geometry, the tire the the pattern, but then with the wrong compound or the wrong casing, and there are so many different configurations. I've noticed in recent years, Schrabi have tried to really streamline, but it, it feels like you know going to the the sort of the the colored and the super gravity casing, et cetera, et cetera. And the super trail. Do you think there's an argument for maybe hmm, over, like, you know, do you think in sometimes we're kind of overwhelming the consumer with choice and actually you could just say, this is the tire for you.
1: <laughs> this is the um, most leading maybe- question I've ever heard. Henry Quiddy. Well, no, I, th- I think, cause I think,
0: <laughs> I think tires should be heavier personally. I like heavy tires. I think they ride really well. I think sometimes people don't, you know, you you put them on and it's like it's like going to really long bikes. When people have a relatively short bike and they go to a longer bike, they immediately notice it's more stable. And then when they go back to the shorter bike, even if it might turn better and do the things, the thing they notice is, oh my God, it's, it's less stable. But similar with tires, you put on a heavy set of tires and you roll down the road and you think, oh, this is really slow. But actually, if you can persevere and get over that initial kind of, knuckle of resistance and feeling slow I, I think they're a lot better so what i'm saying is can you try and convince people that we should all be on heavier tires
1: <laughs> 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 I, I think that's so, our job henry
2: <laughs> and to be honest you already helped us with this so uh we're also a fan of heavier tires but um to get to your question um i'm a bit afraid here that i'm risking my job because actually my <laughs> job involves taking care of a big range of tasks so. <laughs> but uh um yes i think we're overwhelming actually customers i think this is happening mm-hmm. but um on the other other hand as i mentioned earlier a lot of my work involves talking to our customers and talking to writers all over the world this is something we have to keep in mind as well um uh, all over the world then uh writers are just so different like um, I'm personally a fan of heavy tars, but um, like if I would give my father a set of super gravity and he's just doing like light trail riding, um, it's not a suitable tile for him. So yeah. I like the simple rule <laughs> of having tasks that are suitable of what you want to do. That so they never flat and they are not too heavy. Like this very two very simple parameters to define
1: which tile fits your riding. I would love to shift gears from tread patterns to talk about materials. Cause I would say some that's something that I'm I, less, it seems like it's a more linear, um, range from really sticky to less sticky, but there's so many additional things about carcass stiffness and the different additives and like multiple compounds and all these things. So could you talk us through what, how you connect, the design process to the decisions around materials. And Felix, could you tell us a little bit about some of the material stuff?
2: So when we first go into uh, materials, um, with our new lineup of carcass constructions, um, we aligned them uh, according to uh, the intended use of the tire. So this is why the tire casings are uh, named according to the intended use, let's say SuperTray or SuperDH, with the intention of you having the right weight tar that you will never have a flat with for your intended use. Um, now, the materials we're using for each ca- each casing are based on uh, actually heavy heavily on lab tests. Um, so we always try to use weight efficiently, um, which means every gram that we want to put that we put into the tar to, to should have over proportionally high effect on, let's say, puncture resistance or the other way around, rolling speed or uh, comfort. To give you an example, um, if you put a 250-gram tar insert in your tar, then these 250 grams will, depending on the insert, lead to, a, let's say, 40% increase of uh, snake bite resistance, puncture resistance. However, if you give me those 250 grams to put into the carcass construction, uh, new layers, whatever, um, then I can make use of them much more efficiently um, with a puncture resistance increase of whatever. So usually weight is really efficiently used in the tire itself. This is something that we heavily incorporate in our uh, material usage, this kind of research.
1: Okay. And so Felix, can you tell, can you sort of give a broad strokes background on Schwalbe's manufacturing capabilities and specifically how those materials fit into it?
3: Yeah. So you were saying that, you know, the material side should be more linear or more streamlined, which... Um, it isn't, which makes tire development so fascinating because, um, just as this bicycle industry, the, the material side of things is also very dynamic and is constantly developing. So, you know, every few years we find ourselves with new possibilities, new materials that we can use, not just to enhance, uh, say performance or quality, but also the sustainability of the tire and um <clears throat> i feel like especially in the past three years there has been so much happening on the let's let's call it the supply chain side where suppliers have been so active about finding new materials you know from uh, recycled or renewable sources but that also gives you a uh, an edge in terms of performance. And what we're doing right now, Carl and I and our teams, we're trying to really let this feed into uh, the new tire range. You know, you're seeing tires now in the Schwalbe range that are significantly more sustainable than a couple of years ago. And this is now all coming to let's call them our high-end tires you know uh, road tires gravel tires and of course mountain bike tires um and it really affects every single material used
1: you were saying before the podcast that the um tacky chan doesn't yet use any recycled materials but it could yes
3: and it will be uh, within the next 12 months which is very exciting and um the Tacky Chan will Won't be the only tire in our mountain bike range using this. So that is something we're doing right now with our supplier. We are feeding the recycled material into test samples. We're testing these in the field as well as in the lab. And uh, we'll be launching this in the
0: very near future. So Felix, if you could just talk to me like the idiot that I am. So when I think of a recycled tire, because I'm a simpleton, I'm thinking one tyre goes into some sort of machine and then it gets, hey, presto, it's revitalised into a, into a brand new tyre. I'm sure, I've got a feeling that isn't quite how it works. Can you just talk about what the materials, what the recycled material is that you're sourcing? Is it from previous use, of bicycle tyres, car tyres, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, or more of just a, a sort of generic form of rubber? And how you go about sourcing where you source that material from?
3: Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, it isn't as easy as, you know, uh, the input is one tire and the output is one tire. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was that simple. It um, <laughs> would make my life certainly significantly easier. Uh, but um, essentially, uh, don't look at it as, as a uh, recycled tire. Look at this. Uh, the, recy- the, 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 the used tire, the old tire, gives you materials for the production of new tires. And this new tire... Um, is made up of several components and materials. And what we're working on right now is making all of these different components and materials from renewable or recycled sources. So when we talk about our tire recycling system, which we launched last year, unfortunately at the moment, it's only available in Germany for various reasons. Um, We get a recovered carbon black out of the tires. And this is what we use in the production of new tires. And this is what you will find in, for example, the Techie Chan sometime in the future. But there will also be other materials flowing in to this tire that come, for example, let's look at fillers uh, using fossil fuels. We are now able to use them from renewable
1: sources. Can can we just take a, a pause to catch me up on how tires are actually like what is the manufacturing process of uh, a tacky chan
0: do you mine rubber does it come out the ground (laughs) how how does what is what is rubber like i said really break it down for me
3: rubber is a wonderful natural raw material found in a rubber tree uh heavier resilience and you have this tree growing in um, you know, the equator regions. we source our natural rubber predominantly from Indonesia where we also uh, uh, manufacture all of our compounds. So we have a very short supply chain on that side. And um, yeah, you basically have small holders just like you have with coffee, tea or uh, cocoa. And uh, these people, you know they, they have their small rubber plantations. They're very different, by the way. They're usually not monocultures like palm oil or whatever. They are um, so-called jungle plantations, at least in our case. So you have a very high level of biodiversity, low impact on the environment. The rubber from the tree is then uh, uh, processed in a processing plant. And this is then what we get to our Thai factory where we then use it to uh, create compounds. So to the compounds... Talking about tire tech, I'm sure you know what all goes in there. Various fillers, chemicals, carbon black, or in the future, recovered carbon black, uh, to make different compounds. So the compounding side is really the, uh, I would say sort of that decides whether a tire is good or bad, how good are your compound
0: is. You just touched upon sourcing your rubber from Indonesia there. We've seen kind of fair, fair trade agreements in other areas. People might be more familiar with it in terms of coffee or something like this. But am I right in saying that Schwalbe uses a fair trade agreement with its with, with some of its suppliers as well?
3: Yeah, so we are working with an NGO called Fair Rubber. Essentially, it's the fair trade organization for natural rubber. And um, together with them, we found a supplier uh, in Java around 100 kilometers uh, from our factory and we set up a uh, a system for the farmers or so the smallholders so basically they are attached to a corporation, a co-op uh, sorry not cooperation cooperative and um, for every kilogram of natural rubber that we buy of every individual smallholder we pay an additional 50 cents this equates to roughly an additional one-third of their monthly salary so it does have a real impact on these people on their communities um i was lucky to to visit them last september i was able to visit a school that has been completely renovated so it has a real um, positive influence on these communities we started with around 230 250 smallholders in 2020 and we now have just over two and a half thousand so it's uh, a system that we've been able to scale up we're hoping to increase the capacities in the future definitely and since july this year uh the techie Chan, amongst other mountain bike ties also uses fair trade natural rubber
1: i want to i want to throw it back to carl um but still about about fair trade rubber uh and maybe ask maybe ask the uncomfortable question that the listeners ha- are, have been yelling the whole time while Felix has been telling us about fair trade Rubber. How much more does that end up costing the consumer?
2: Uh, nothing.
1: <laughs> so you so- guys just eat that margin? You just take a lower margin? Because, I mean, just to be clear, bicycle tires are very expensive. Not just yours, but yours are also very expensive. And that has nothing to do with, with the cost of raw materials? So...
2: The price of bicycle tires, I mean, th- this is an old discussion that I've, mm-hmm. I don't know, I've had how many times with commenters, commentators, mm-hmm. but uh, it is um, the old question of why your bicycle tires cost as much, if not more, than your car tires. And mm-hmm. first and foremost, there's surely scale of production that plays into this, but also uh, it should be considered that you can't compare, it, that, that people are usually comparing um outputs, what is, what's the right saying for it <laughs> apples to apples no <laughs> apples to apples yep yeah. yeah um like a regular kata is the equivalent of our low end or best mid-range uh empty whereas our high-end towers are more comparable to track towers and on top of that um most of the um i would say most of the production costs not is, is also the time intensity especially for uh, in production especially for mtb tars. Um, people underestimate how much handwork and craftsmanship actually goes into
1: these art, uh, into these tires. Um, so it's not just like, "Hey, this tire weighs—you know—a car tire is big and heavy, has lots of raw materials, whereas a bike tire is small and light and uses less raw materials. Therefore, it should be less expensive." Yes, it's all the
2: processes w- in between. That that would be too simple to look at it that way, just by the amount
1: of material. Us us all oversimplifying things. Why I never. How much does a track tire cost on a car? I, I genuinely have no idea. I think a
2: Michelin Pilot Sport um, Cup is like, depending on the size, obviously, but uh, I think for my car, it would be 250, 300 per tire, something like that. Yeah. Euros. Euros. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. So. And with these supply chains, obviously they were put under tremendous strain during the, the COVID bike boom. What do you think the long-lasting effects of that will be in terms of? Because I imagine these these people could, being in such demand, could ask for maybe a fairer price. They could maybe, you know, especially in factories and things like this, that they sort of it maybe change the power dynamic a bit.
3: No, <laughs> I knew. Um, let's no, let's let, let's not sugarcoat this. Um, these people live usually below the poverty line, mm. and they are exploited. Oftentimes, um, the bicycle industry, even though we are growing and the future outlook is very positive, we are a very small wheel, you know, mm. um, right. uh, 70% of the rubber worldwide is used in tires, but as you can imagine, bicycle tires, are only a very small portion. Um, so that is why we find it really important to find some sort of way to uh, support these people whilst also giving them ownership over what they do.
1: There are obviously social and uh, moral reasons to to do something like this, but does it also impact the quality of the rubber or of the materials? Are we going to see like mountain bike hipsters start looking for single origin shade grown at a specific altitude rubber on their tires? Is that
3: as a coffee geek, I would love that but I don't see that happening anytime soon okay uh, Now, it doesn't affect the the quality of the product, but it affects you know the likelihood of these people and the likelihood
0: it sounds like um just to go back to what you said about the the way the industry functions the rubber industry at large not just within cycling it sounds like there's the implication that maybe there isn't enough done to to look after you know that that initial part of the Of the supply chain um within your role within shruby as kind of head of social responsibility was that how long has that role existed and was that in response or you know into kind of how the rubber industry works and what what do you think are some other things that you'd like to see in the wider industry to improve the livelihood of of these people to make it fairer for everyone
3: so as a family-owned business we've always been like so many other family business, um, you know, been always deeply rooted in in supporting communities, especially our local community. And um, then we started looking into product sustainability around 2015. But the role of corporate social responsibility was officially uh, given to me in 2021. And that definitely came in response to, you know, the, the whole issue just got such a dynamic uh, during Corona that we felt now's the time to to uh, create this position. I was initially, uh, I was in product management, not for the mountain bike segment, for the uh, city and urban segment. So I was um, already looking into uh, your product sustainability, but also um, I was one of the people that helped get fair rubber off the ground at Schwalbe. And um, currently what we do is a good start. And I hope that it could be a blueprint for especially other tire makers to look at the people in the beginning of the supply chain and maybe even, you know, this could be a way of cooperating in my opinion.
1: What uh, I wanted to ask, but what, what do other tire mountain bike or bike tire manufacturers do? Are there similar programs elsewhere? Is it, are there other people doing as an industry are we doing a good job or a bad job you mean as an, as a tire industry or as a bike industry is the bike tire industry are, are there other similar initiatives elsewhere or is this one pretty unique
3: uh, there is no other initiative known to me that looks into the social aspect of the rubber supply chain hmm. which in my opinion is arguably the um, most important aspect to look at i think I don't want to talk for other tire makers, but I think we all are better, if you like, than five years ago. But we all still need to improve very much.
1: When you talk about having a new, uh, a recycled, fully recycled version of the Tacky Chan, do you think that your race team will be able to tell the difference? No,
3: that is our idea of a proper eco design and proper development of the new tires that we think are possible to enter the market in the future. The hardest thing to do in sustainable product development is finding the balance of increasing the sustainability of your tire and not affecting the quality and or performance. Um, We launched a new city tire, the Green Marathon at this year's Eurobike, and we uh, Carl, correct me if I'm wrong. We did about three and a half years of field testing with a crazy amount of cyclists. We've never done any more field tests before in Schwalbe history comparing uh, you know, old and new in the same tyre. So we'd have segment tyres where you have the old compound and the new compound, for example, on the tread. So we can have Direct comparisons with no a way. ton of different tread patterns and so forth in all uh, on all surfaces. It was some a very intense uh, research and development process. We even tested um,
2: that. That's a fun fact. We even tested some magic marries with a marathon compound, be it on um, rental uh, bike park rental bikes, mm-hmm. but also for athletes. So even they, not knowing what they were running, actually because oh, that would have been weird <laughs> they were uh <laughs> unknowingly they were riding the new marathon compound
1: wow so that's a much harder compound obviously as a as a city tire
2: honestly it's quite it's performing really well so i was i was writing those tires myself and was pretty blown away by how good uh this compound still works i mean that was part of the development process as well
3: when we started the development of this tire, we were looking into a uh, so just above entry-level segment tire. And then we started with the compound testing. We're like, hang on a second. This stuff is crazy, crazy good. And it can totally rival the durability of a Marathon City tire. So let's
1: go with this. And yeah. So have you already started doing... With what will become the the tacky chan recycled compound have you have you guys already had the team on those? Not that they knew but <laughs>
2: Maybe there was already a World Cup 1 in it. No, just kidding. Not yet, honestly. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to believe anymore.
2: <laughs> Felix doesn't no. even know. So, <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. Yeah, okay, no. Uh, did he know? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that would be actually our dream. So having a World Cup 1 on a rec- uh, techie chain with recycled material is certainly our goal. That And honestly, I think it's going to happen. Maybe even next year. Already next year.
0: Super cool. Now... Felix, something we just we were speaking about off camera, and I can't. I, I think it's really important to talk about, um, and maybe it's a, a bit salacious, but with this fair trade agreement, can you just what what you to paraphrase what you said is that this fair trade agreement does affect your margins? What you said I thought was really insightful.
3: So what I was saying is that, of course, it affects our margins because it's a ton of money that has to come from somewhere and we we didn't want to make sustainability a buying decision. you know it shouldn't be a luxury and as you were saying earlier, our products are not exactly cheap, and if we you know I don't want a situation where you have a customer uh, and they say, "Well, I'm not going to buy this tire, this fair trade tire because it's more expensive." but at the end of the day, you know if we pay fifty cents per kilogram extra and you know the weight of our tires you can imagine that a lot of this stuff ends up in the tire and of course it affects the margins but we are a family-owned business maybe we have if you like the luxury of saying well you know uh, we're not publicly listed we don't have to adhere to any investors we believe in this stuff and this is what we're going to do
2: to add to this um you know you just asked me of how we define materials when it comes to the product and i explained that we talk to our consumers look at our target group and as felix just said like we didn't want to make um our sustainable products kind of like a target group po- product but instead it's it's our own vision of creating better bicycle guitars, uh, which is where we made it kind of the standard or the future standard
1: so you don't just have like a uh granola, Birkenstock-wearing persona that you're trying to get market share in that group?
3: <laughs> no, not yet anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to add for, for transparency. So not, we're not using 100% fair trade natural rubber just yet because we don't have the uh, capacities, right? We, we, we set up the supply chain three years ago. We've made really good progress, as I was saying, going from 250 smallholders to 2,500. But we're still not close to reaching 100%. But this is a target that we set ourselves for the future.
0: If we take a really cynical point of view, that people might say, right, so this is surely, you know, it does cost more for the raw materials. That does then eat into, you know, brand's margins, et cetera, et cetera. But is that not just a marketing ploy? That's, I think that's what the, the most cynical people would say. And what would your response be to that?
3: I've heard similar things about our recycling system. Oh, it's just a marketing ploy. <laughs> well, if it if if that was the truth, then what should be my response? I mean, we have made the decision to improve wherever we can. We have found several ways. Some of them is the yeah the tire recycling system. The other one is finding ways to establish fair trade natural rubber. We simply believe that we must make the bicycle as responsible as possible and it's not an option for us to be sustainable it's a duty maybe that sounds super cliche but but that is
0: would it be the same as saying oh you're only nice to your friends so they enjoy hanging out with you wild
2: (laughs) (laughs) to add to the point as felix mentioned earlier um for instance the techie chan was initially not planned to receive the um um the fair trade rubber just because of availability so in fact, when um, we found out that we our supply sh- situation changed a little bit and we were able to add it to the program, we already did it in the background without talking about it for literally months. month. So for us, it's it, it would be a uh, fault to not talk about it, for sure. But on the other hand, uh, steps in the background are being taken that no one even knows about already incorporated in the product development and so on. Um, <laughs> Let's be real Costs us money, but we can't talk about, and we don't talk about. So no, I I would definitely not say this is a marketing thing.
3: Sorry. I just want to say one last thing to that too. Um, you know, consumers have a really good reason to question any type of green claim. There's a lot of, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. You didn't, you can swear. Yeah, there's a lot of bullshit going on. Um. And it is seriously frustrating that a lot of companies, mo- most of them outside the cycling industry, by the way, are taking just advantage of the, uh, I don't want to say ignorance, but just not you know, the, the unknowing of, of the, your average consumer. And therefore I <laughs> think it's actually very good when you have people, especially in our bicycle community questioning what we do. And, um, it is necessary because that usually means that companies try and do better. That is why, or that is one of the reasons why we also want to create transparency by, for example, uh, publishing a CSR report.
1: I think we have a, a similar, I think maybe people think we don't appreciate it when people question you know, uh, the the biases in a review or in some coverage, but I think it's really, I'm always really happy when I see good like healthy skepticism i think that media skepticism is important i think that sus- like sustainability skepticism is is important um i think it's difficult you know you can just go your whole life being incredibly cynical about stuff too and that's not helpful just being defeated all the time but uh, i do think it's really good to to investigate and go a little a little deeper
0: and to what i feel quite i suppose I'm, I'm probably quite naive in this because with the the COVID boom and the increased demand, I'd, I'd kind of maybe hoped that it made it better for the suppliers and the factories because maybe they could pick and choose. But probably, like I said, that was naive naive of me. Do you see the sustainability and the social responsibility in some ways? Do they ever come into conflict with one another? Because is there something that is more sustainable but less socially responsible, and vice versa?
3: So, just for context, for you, the the the. The main problem in the rubber supply chain uh, is simply that the price of rubber is too low and has been for a long time that is the core of the problem and Mm -hmm. as you can imagine there are many companies that are not very interested in having higher prices in their raw material sourcing so we need to find a way how we can balance this inequality out how you know, businesses can still do business and people in the, in the beginning of the supply chain are not exploited. Um, this happens, unfortunately, in many, many raw materials, but like I was saying before, coffee and so forth. And unfortunately, rubber is also one of them. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I, I forgot the second part of the question, Henry. Sorry.
0: Do, do they ever, does the sustainability and the social responsibility ever come into conflict with one another
3: um yes but i don't see a conflict in the rubber supply chain i think a or what we see with our fair rubber project is that uh, the sustainability aspect actually has a huge positive impact on the community or the communities that are engaging in the project
0: for full clarity um There's actually this CSR report, which is quite, it's probably a bit more than bedtime reading. Hey, Felix, it's quite a long report. Can you just explain the process of what you wanted to achieve by releasing the CSR report?
3: Yeah, uh, you know, as an industry, we all need to become more transparent about what we do, uh, you know, behind the scenes, if you like. And that is what our CSR report is trying to do, is... You know uh as i was saying earlier it's a hundred pages or so uh it took us a long time again to to uh to write it and get it all together and it is supposed to um you know give the reader a clear message of what we are doing right now what we have been doing in the past and where we want to be uh tomorrow in five years and um it really looks at the whole uh, uh, issue holistically. So from uh, things we do at our headquarters for our employees and their families to our supply chain, our engagement with Fair Rubber, what we do uh, on the production side, what we do on the product level, um, the various you know social projects that we uh, either initiated or that we support financially or in other ways. So it really gives you that's you know my hope anyway a very clear understanding of what we do in this regard and it also makes us accountable um you know showing you know if if if, if we miss a target then that is something that we will report in the next uh uh csr report and so forth
1: and you do I them you'll it... be doing them yearly now or yeah so this
3: is our second uh, csr report um always looking basically at the uh, uh, last year, if you like, just like a financial report. So it, it is very detailed. We are using the uh, GRI standard, which is a very uh, renowned international standard for sustainability reporting, um, so that you can you know, basically take our report and compare to the CSR or sustainability report of other companies. Uh, within or outside of the cycling industry, that is sort of what we try to do to um, have the highest standard possible in reporting.
0: I think it's interesting because at least when you ride a tire, you see it wear and you kind of you understand how it's consumable in nature. But it's a funny thought. I th- we've all probably ridden so many mountain bikes and you sell them on or they you know x y z. I I Sometimes I think, I wonder where that carbon giant trance was that I rode in 2016. I wonder if it's still out there. I wonder if it's being ridden. And of course, all its constituent parts, all the complexities and suspension and the forks and the handlebars. And I wonder where all these bikes end up. I mean, there was a really crude term a couple of years ago. Brian, you'll notice that some of our commenters still refer to it as ocean fill, right? For these carbon frames. But it's strange that we do this sport that is so dependent on being outside in nature. And as an industry, we've probably got a very long way to go indeed, when it comes to sustainability. And it's great to see more transparency. That's only going to be a good thing.
1: Well, the thing that I always always bothers me is uh, when brands or commenters sort of yada, 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 the environmental side, because it's bikes, therefore it's green, therefore it's good. And it's nice to see a, a report like this, which to be clear, it came out yesterday, it's hundred pages long. I have not dug through it yet, but... <laughs> uh it, it's not it's a i think it's an important effort because we it's such an acknowledgement of like we know we can't you can't buy our way to a better future but we can still try and reduce our overall impact
3: yeah i mean you know we all love the bicycle it's a wonderful amazing uh, uh well for me it's you, you know means of transportation as well and It's emission-free, it's healthy, it uh, helps with congestion in the cities and gets people out Mm -hmm. and about. And it is our duty to make the bicycle itself as sustainable as possible. And yes, we only make tires and tubes, but we want to get that done as best as possible, not just in terms of performance, but also in terms of environmental and social responsibility
0: excellent well we're going to leave a link to that csr report in this article should you want to do a bit of light reading you maybe you can print it out leave it on the coffee table to waft through <laughs> and i just want to thank you both for your time today uh both in terms of the tacky development as well as going on about how we could potentially add a bit of transparency and accountability or a bit more to the bike, bicycle industry thank you very much for winning on the pink bike podcast and we'll catch you next time